Hi, my name is Wendy Weber. And my name is BJ Neal. Welcome to Nobody Chooses Homelessness. A podcast dedicated to changing the cultural narratives about homelessness and shedding light on how we can mobilize to be a part of the solution. In this podcast, we'll talk to everyday people, experts, entrepreneurs, and activists who are helping their unhoused neighbors find their way home again. We work for City Relief, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving people facing extreme poverty and homelessness. City Relief shows up weekly as a mobile outreach offering people free meals, supplies, and connection to resources for housing, employment, and health care. More importantly, we offer people friendship, community, and belonging. We both have years of experience working systematically and on the ground to end homelessness. We believe that in order to end homelessness, it's going to take a holistic approach with people from all walks of life helping their neighbors in need. Today is part one of an interview where we had the privilege to talk with Wayne Batchelor. Wayne has personally experienced homelessness in New York City. Wayne was a professional musician for years. Originally from London, he traveled the world on cruise ships playing the bass for every kind of band imaginable. Several years ago, he experienced one of the toughest seasons of his life. He suffered a hand injury that caused nerve damage and made it impossible for him to play music. During this time, he also lost his home and his marriage. Wayne is now in the process of rebuilding his life. He was able to get surgery on his hand and is hopeful about playing music again. He attributes his ability to stay positive to his faith in God. So good morning, Wayne. It's great to have you. Good morning. So why don't we start? Can you tell us your story? Well, um, I'm from London, England. My family is Jamaican, so I'm first generation English. All my cousins who are my age, I'm in my 50s, were born in London. All my cousins who were older than me were born in Jamaica. My mother's family, her sisters and brothers who came to England came in the, the 60s. And then, yeah, grew up in England, was educated in London, went to an all-boys school. I left school at 16, did a, a, an apprenticeship in electrical engineering, and then spent a year out of my time working in the factory where I did my apprenticeship and then went straight from there to music school. So it was a complete change. And then uh, I spent 10 years as a professional musician after I went to music school for two years. And then I, and then basically I went on the dole. I was doing one gig a month, two gigs a month. And by the time around 10 years later, by the time I came to America, I was working as a musician, traveling the world. Europe and I came to study in America, study music. I, so I did a degree at the new school and, um, I spent about two, two years or three years there. And then, um, I did a year out of my time and then my, um, my bass, te- I played double bass and electric bass. My bass teacher, he, um, he referred me to a jazz singer who then I can't remember the word. She got me my green card, basically. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I was working, doing lots of kinds of gigs, playing in church. Then I met my wife, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. When we had a child, and that was in 20, 2012. I had a child in 2013. Then the relationship started to break down. And the reason, the specific reason why I became homeless was because we, we had a physical altercation and, um, she called the police on me and had me arrested 
And then I can't remember the word now, a restraining order against me. So I had nowhere to live. So I, I, I was basically, I, I didn't even know about homeless shelters or anything like that. So I basically, I, I just lived on the street for quite a while. So that was 2018. So I lived on the street up until November of 2018. And that's when I, I did this audition. So, so I was on the street all the time. I, when I say on the street, um, sometimes I stayed at, at FedEx overnight. Sometimes I stayed at uh, Lexington, the hospital on Le on Upper East Side. I just walked in there and uh, I got to know the security guards. I'd be going there every night. And that entire time, was that because you still weren't aware of the shelter system in the city? or I, I, I didn't even plug into it. I, I, I wasn't aware of um, the ho uh, like a homeless shelter situation. I, I didn't really ask anybody. The, the, ch the church really weren't, the church that I was going to weren't really helpful. Yeah, so I thought I got to, eventually I, I, I thought I just got to get out of, um, get out of the city. It's, this is, this is crazy. If I can. Yeah, please. You, you have such a compelling story. I think there are so many people, myself included, who can hear your story and resonate with it. So going through all that you went through and even just the circumstances that, you know, and just how those things kind of just unfolded rather than it being like you just ending up in a situation where you don't have anywhere to live, just these situations just kind of like unfold back to back. My question is more like, so how does this even begin to turn around now? Like, how do you, how did you get to where we know you are today from that? Because this is, well, while I was working on the ship, I developed a compressed nerve. Mm. So when I clarifying question, you were working on a ship. Yeah. So how, when did you start working on the ship? Were you already working? No, no, no. November. I, I left maybe towards the middle of, in the middle of November. So I auditioned, I got a friend of mine to film me playing bass. It was an audition. Okay. And I sent the audition to oh. Holland, America. I see. Okay. And then, um, yeah, they, 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 uh, they offered through, through a company in, in Canada that hires musicians. Mm -hmm. They offered me a, 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 a job on a ship playing bass for three hours a day. Okay. On the ship. On the ship. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was the job. Okay. And uh, how long did you do that? I did that. I was, I was, uh, I came back in March of 2019. And when I came back, I had, I had, I got a, I got this compressed nerve in December mm -hmm. and I, I, I basically played with it compressed. And then when I got back, I was searching for a doctor to find out what was wrong with it. And that took most of 2019 and I was still homeless at the time. I spent about a, a month and a half at a, uh, with this guy's in this guy's apartment who went to Redeemer and then eventually he, he asked me to leave. So I was still homeless. I was homeless up until just before the, um, COVID-19 and I was, I, I was staying in the subway a lot and there were, there were these people who basically 
they, I can't remember, they, maybe they wore things that said, um, like a, t- a shirt that said, we're, 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 we're here to help the homeless. Sure. And, um, they put me in touch with Bellevue. By then I got involved with, it was a, it was a, it was an organization that, that to, to help get me work. So you had to do things like look for work on a computer, and then you had to go through all these different classes so that I could get some benefits. Yeah. And you were doing that during the day? I was doing that during the day, and um, that was down um, near uh, Wall Street. So there was, a, there was, a, there was like a, a food mall there that was open 24 24 hours a lot of the time while I was doing that, I was staying there at night. I just, I, until, until they, sometimes they threw me out, you know? Yeah. Many, many things happened. It's hard to remember all the things that happened, but, um. Well, I'm very interested to know how, how COVID was for you because it seemed like, no, it didn't seem like it. The COVID hit and it seemed like the homeless population in New York City was, was largely forgotten by the city. Where were you during COVID and what, what was your experience? Well, I can, I can tell you specifically, I, at one, I think, I can't remember exactly. I was getting swollen legs. So I went to the hospital on at LEC and I said, can I, can I, can I, can I take a COVID test? I didn't have any s- symptoms. I just wanted to take one. Yeah. And I was positive. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent, I think, 33 days in quarantine. Wow. I was only, sp- I think it, at that time, you're only supposed to spend two weeks. But I kept on asking them, what's happening now? What's happening now? And they didn't have any answers for me. So I just basically, and, and, and when that happened, when I got there, I mean, I was, eating three times a day. So I wanted to kind of stay there as long as possible. Yeah. Sure. And yeah, so I spent about 33 days and then eventually I can't remember what organization it was. I was moved to a a shelter for the first time. The solution to homelessness can seem overwhelming, but we're on the ground every day doing our part. You can do your part by leaving us a comment and review. Share this episode with a friend and you can start to shift the narrative around homelessness. I can't remember which shelter it was. How was it? And then I do want to go back to an earlier, just to an earlier question, but how was it navigating? Like once you ended up in the shelter, what was that like? Well, when I was quarantined, I had a room of my own. Right. But when they, well, when you transferred to the shelter, well, the first, the first shelter I was in was, uh, um, Bowery Mission. Bowery Mission. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that was not a room. Oh no, no. I yeah. was, I was, I, I was, I was in a room with. It's a congregate setting. It was like 70 people. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. There were, sure. there were people who were cool. There were people who seemed like they, I mean, I don't know that seemed like they were mentally ill. How many what, people was it to a room when you went to the city shelter? City shelter. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, like they transferred you from, at one point you said that they transferred you from the hotel. Yeah, it was a motel. Yeah. It was a motel. Okay. Where you were staying to like a shelter was the shelter that you went to. Okay. One of the shelters, it was called the pod. 
Okay. That was in that was in Williamsburg. Yeah, I had my own room. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then and then the shelter. And then I was kicked out of there. And then I was I was sent to another shelter, where I was staying with this. That was two people in the room. Okay. So you had one roommate. Yeah. So when I got there, that guy he was kind of freaking out. He said, "Why why are you in my room?" And he was like threatening violence towards me. And I said. I can't stay in the room with this guy. Wow. And yeah, it was, that was kind of nuts. And the staff were terrible. I was homeless, but I'm, I, I didn't have that, that, what can I say? There isn't a homeless mentality, but I think, um, some people, they've been homeless for so long. They, they get into a certain kind of vibe. Sure. So the staff treat them in a certain way, yeah. which I wouldn't put up with. So that, I think that made. It, it made, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what their experience of a black guy who's from Britain, who, who, I mean, I didn't grow up here. So, so maybe they didn't know how really, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they didn't know how to really deal with me, but, um, I kind of stood up for myself if I felt I was being, um, treated badly or spoken to in a certain way. In ways that others that you were around did not. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't respond with any violence, but I just. But you spoke up for yourself. But I spoke up for myself, and 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 I think, it, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, Did that make things more difficult for you? Yeah, I think so. So that kind of negative situation, even though you were in shelter, that led you to leave because it wasn't. Well, well, I had, I had nowhere to go, but I, I wasn't going to go back on the street after being fed and somewhere to sleep. I mean, I had a, pro I had problems with my legs for a while because yeah, I think I had edema. Is that yeah, where you have um, swelling in the legs, water, because yeah. you're not lying horizontal. Yeah. So when you think back to the very first night years ago, when you found yourself unhoused, what was that like for you? What were you, what was going through your mind? Well, well it was, it was, uh, May. So the weather on the street, it was, was actually very good. So, and I was in Brooklyn Heights, which, uh, and so I, I used to be in the park, which is near the water at the end of like, yeah, Brooklyn Heights. So actually it wasn't very bad. I just stayed up all night and then I can't remember what I did, but it, it, it was only once I started staying in Manhattan that it, I felt or, or staying up, staying awake for long periods of time, it started taking a toll. But at first it really, it, there was no toll. I didn't really, I didn't feel, oh man, I'm, I'm destitute or anything like that. Yeah. I just kind of stayed on the streets and my priority was really just to f feel safe. Yeah. That's yeah. Re that's really good. I, I really appreciate that insight. Even like, I'm just thinking about how, when you go from having your own environment, that's yours, right? to, as you're saying it, living on the streets, the simple pleasures and the simple conveniences and the things that we lose access to that we don't even realize how important they are, how pivotal they are. If you could talk a little bit about some of those like hygiene and how did all of that change for you and your ability to do things for yourself. Yeah. 
Okay, so I, I, I was a member of Brooklyn Heights YMCA. So I used to go in there at first and wash, but that stopped after a while. Why? I can't remember. Okay, but either way, it stopped. Yeah. So we were saying earlier when we were talking about the challenge of COVID for people who are unhoused, that everything was closed. Yeah. Um, and not just services that we would take for granted, like restaurants being open and all of that, but public spaces in the city mm-hmm. being closed and public restrooms. So what was what was that like? Did you experience? Yeah, I, I, I was using the bathrooms in, in hospitals as much as possible until that was cut cut off basically and i i went to not Bellevue, but i think nyc langone and i walked i walked into their their um casualty hospital and i asked the security guard can i use the toilet and he said no no the emergency section can i use the toilet and he said no no you can't you're not allowed to and so i said you know i have to defecate I mean, I, I don't want to do it on the street, please. And he said, no, no. There was some staff there. And I said to them, we have to treat each other like human beings. I'm asking you as a human being, can you let me use the toilet? And they said to him, let me use the toilet. It's about humanity. Yeah. It really is. I mean, and, and even at that point, obviously COVID had shut down. A lot of things. I mean, you can go to toilet anywhere on the street. Everything seemed to be shut down. So I had to appeal to people's humanity. I had to. Did you find that when you were addressing that directly, like you found in the hospital, (laughs) did you find that that was something that was successful for you at other times when you were looking Uh, someone in the eye and saying, I'm a human? Not always, no. But sometimes, yes. I mean, you know, I, I, I used I spent a lot of time um, staying in hospitals because, you know, when you could just, you know, I did it overnight. I did it during the day. Mm-hmm. If you go into Bellevue, there's a, and you go to the back, there's a great big space with lots of chairs where you can just sit there okay, and get, get on, get online. There's electricity points. Mm-hmm. So you find that you find those places. FedEx is open 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So you start to know where places are. Yeah, I stayed at FedEx. Any food malls that were open twenty four seven, I tried to stay at. And any anywhere, anywhere that anywhere that I could just use the facilities and rest. I'm so fascinated by you addressing the staff and talking about humanity. And so I think that um, it's very common for those of us who are housed to not remember that it's a human being, if someone is sitting in the street, someone is experiencing homelessness, that this is still a person who should be treated with dignity as another human being. Yeah. So what, how can we, as Taoist people, act differently? What, what is a way to show humanity, to show kindness, to try and change that narrative in our own minds? I think you've got you to, ultimately, you've got to get to, you've got to ask that person, who are they? Because... They are a person, but you don't know them. So you got to find out who they are. And once you start doing that, you start treating them differently because you know them on a deeper level because you know who they are. But if you don't, then you're, you're treated like, you know, I was, tre- 
when I, the last shelter I was in, people tried to talk to me as though I was like an idiot or they treated other people like, like they're idiots or yeah. just, you know, you ask for some more food. No, you can't have any or, or, or get out of this space right now. You know, I just wouldn't have that. Yeah. You know, this podcast is sponsored by city relief. We are a nonprofit dedicated to connecting people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty to food, clothing, and vital resources they need to survive. We show up week after week on New York City and New Jersey streets, regardless of the weather, providing meals and community to those who feel forgotten. We can only do this because of the generosity of everyday people like you who want to see a world where our homeless neighbors are cared for. To find out how you can give and make a real impact on homelessness, Click the link in the description of this episode. Ultimately, what was it that changed your situation? Like what ended up being the defining thing? Oh, well, I got a job at a single room occupancy facility three nights a week. That's, that's, that's where I came from this morning. So I worked from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. So when I got a job there, I thought, oh man, maybe I can stay here. And to stay at a single room occupancy facility, you have to have a psychiatric evaluation. So I went to Maimonides in Brooklyn and, um, spoke to this woman who was a psych psychologist. She wrote me up and, and then she sent me to somebody else, somebody else who, um, I then went to see on an ongoing basis so that they could write a psychiatric evaluation for me. And so after a couple of weeks, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go and see them on an ongoing basis. They eventually said, said to me that at Maimonides, we have a, we have a program where we try and house people. So they put me onto, um, one, a person who was in that program and they put me onto a broker who found the apartment that I have now. Wow. But this was after a year of going there. Then they mentioned it one, one time. Wow. We have a program after a year. After. <laughs> so it's not necessarily just a straight path. No, I mean, they could have, they could have mentioned it when I got them, but they didn't. Right, right. So, I mean, I, 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 I didn't blame them or anything, but they mentioned it. So I, I moved out of homelessness. I moved into this apartment on November the 17th last year. Yeah. Wow. How do you see even, even that right there, you just said, I didn't blame them. How do you do that? How do you stay positive and in the midst of a situation like that? Well, I just, I just thought eventually I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be homeless. Well, yeah, for sure. One thing I knew God wanted me while I was homeless, that's where I was supposed to be at for that moment in time. Sure. I can say that to be true. Yeah. I, I think me becoming homeless was my responsibility in my, uh, my interaction with my, with my, um, well, my now ex-wife. Yeah. But that was my fault. So, but God used that and used my, I think used my homelessness to teach me many things. One question we really are interested in asking all of our guests is if there's a common misconception that people have about homelessness, 
What is the one thing you'd want people to start thinking differently? Mm. I mean, there's so many places people easily go in their minds that homeless people are this, where this is the only way people end up homeless. Yeah, you can you can you can end up homeless for a variety of reasons. Let's maybe break it down a little bit in in a little bit of a different way. It, let's start with this. What do you think most people think about homelessness? I I can only I can only say that the way I was treated, mm-hmm. pe- pe- people thought I was beneath them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm talking about. Well, specifically, staff at the, 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 the last homeless shelter I was at. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I got a city fetch voucher. And what is that? A city fetch voucher is a voucher so that you don't pay the full amount of rent. It, it, it's, it, you pay partial rent. So they, when I left the shelter, they did not give me the most up-to-date city fetch voucher. So... I started paying rent as soon as I moved in. I wasn't supposed to start paying rent until January of this year, January the 1st. They should never have let me leave that shelter without an up-to-date city fetch voucher. What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. And so only, I only just got that money back that I was from the landlord because they wouldn't give me the money back at first. They said it, it, I had to get a lawyer. So it was, it's wow. kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I said at one point, I said to, I said in no uncertain terms, you're incompetent to one, the, the person who was looking after me. So it, it became adversarial at, at, at times because. Yeah, I, I just, I, I wouldn't put up with the way I was being treated. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just. So, 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 so people, yeah, people, sometimes, sometimes the staff at the shelters, they, they just treat people. They have no respect. They have no respect for themselves. So they can't respect other people. That's, that's, I, I said that a lot to people. You don't respect yourself. That's why you can't respect me. And do you feel like that was ever taken seriously? Well, I didn't care whether it was. I was going to say it, whether it was or not. Yeah. So how would, how do you feel like, so I know during the years that I have both with my own experience with homelessness and then with my experience working with homelessness in various different ways, like the, it's, it, there is this stigma associated with homelessness, associated with a group of people that don't have a place, that don't have their own place to live, Mm. right? That actually belongs to them. And a part of me is wondering if even the people who worked at the shelter, which is crazy, even the people- I I felt they were one step away from being homeless themselves. If they lost their job, they were gonna. They were gonna be in the position I was. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Absolutely. The role would have flipped that quickly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I. So I think here. So right there. So you've got a person who's one step away from being homeless. Right. There are tons of people. I've been there, living paycheck to paycheck, one step away from being homeless without even really thinking about it. Yet they can carry this stigma and look to someone that is in a situation, a momentary situation 
where they are homeless at this moment and not see themselves, not see themselves. How would you, if you got to talk to somebody that was currently dealing with that, like they currently, they wanted to change the way they viewed homelessness, but they kind of don't know where to start. How would you, how would you approach that stigma? How would you approach that conversation? Well, well, well you know, I think a, a lot of the, t a lot of the time, the workers, they don't really get to know you. They, they just, rather than talk to you, they talk at you. I'll give you an example. I stayed in a hotel and I had my own room. When I got to that hotel, the first person who I spoke to, I developed a relationship with him. There were other people there who I'll, I'll give you an example. So I went up to the office. It was an open plan office and some, one of the workers walked up to me and he went, huh? Like that. That, that's how, that's, that's what he said to me. He just grunted in my, as if to say, what do you want? So I, I responded by saying, I didn't say anything. And then I reported him and I reported him to the woman who was, who was in charge of the whole shelter. And in front of me, he denied that he did that. I said, he grunted in my face and he denied it. So I said to her, either he's lying or I'm lying right in front of him. And, uh, he eventually admitted it and he apologized. That's a crazy situation for someone to grunt at you like yeah, that. 100 Why? 100 <laughs> Nuts. Yeah. I'd never experienced that before. Someone, huh? Yeah. You, you speak to people, you don't grunt at them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. I experienced other things like that at that shelter. It was a, a hotel, um, on 36th street. It, I, so you believe from what I'm hearing you say that the answer to dealing with the stigma, to changing people's thought process on this, using this example with the staff is the ability to really meet eye level with somebody is being able to talk to them as a person is being absolutely just, just to whatever they may think I can articulate myself. I, I can speak up for myself. I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. Mm. And I, I, I will, I will communicate whatever needs to be communicated. Th this is where I'm at, or this is what's going on. And can we deal with it or whatever the case may be. But a lot of the time I felt, I found myself sticking up for myself because I, I, I just wanted to communicate that. No, I'm not going to accept being treated that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that you were talking about the things that you have learned or the things that you felt that God was teaching you even during your time and your experience in homelessness. And you were saying that through it all, through everything that went down through you becoming homeless, that there were some lessons and some things that you learned along the way. I would love if you can think of any of those that if any of those come to mind, some of the pivotal things you learned during that time, I would love to glean from that. Yeah. You can't give up. Mm. You got to keep on trying to move forward. You got to reach out to people. Yeah. Reach out to people, speak to people who will, um, listen, 
empathize. I think you got to you, you got to speak as truthfully as you can, and and not be hammering the truth or hammering people with with it. But just a lot of what I've experienced is people are really not 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 dealing with you in a truthful way, and that can have a, a devastating effect because. You don't know where you are when that's happening. So it's important that even, even, even in a, a situation where you're homeless and you, you don't see light at the end of the tunnel, it's there. You just haven't gotten there yet. So you have to stay the course. Yes. Yeah. If you live in New York or New Jersey or technically anywhere, and you'd like to volunteer with us, click on the link in the description of this episode. I loved even just the order of the things you just said. Like, I, and I know this is really just flowing like directly from your heart, like the lessons that you've learned and the things that, as you say, God has taught you, just that not giving up, like kind of being this pivotal foundation for basically everything that you've done. Like, okay, the first thing I got to do is not give up, is keep trying. The second thing you said, I think it was so amazing that you said to not give up first, because when you said that your second thing that you learned was to reach out to people, mm. given the, your story, like, and what he's been through, yeah. like, I, I honestly couldn't understand how that could be a takeaway that you would keep reaching out, given the fact that you've had so many negative experiences. But if it wasn't for the fact that you kept reaching out, mm, yeah. you would have never got where you are today. Like it was you not giving up and you continuing to reach out to people that ultimately is how you got the change in your situation. Yeah, you, you have to, because, you know, if I hadn't reached out to the person who helped me um, do the audition, then maybe I wouldn't have gone to Australia. Right. If I hadn't reached out to the person whose who's couch I slept on, for, for a couple of months, then that, that would have been that. Yeah. So when you reach out off, sometimes you get a negative response. Sometimes I've got a positive response, but that shouldn't stop you still reaching out. Yeah. Whether it's, if it's negative, you got to keep reaching out no matter what the response is. Yeah. And, yeah. and to your final point, and this is just thanking you to your final point about speaking truth and not hammering people with it. I think it is. It is incredibly humbling to hear you talk about the idea of speaking truth and continuing to speak truth and not stopping speaking truth. You know what I mean? Not stopping to conveying your situation and the dignity that you deserve as a human being. Even you on your end of it, still wanting to make sure you're doing it gently and that you're doing it in a way that honors the other person's humanity yeah. is incredible. So thank you so much for not only for, for saying that, but for literally doing that by having this conversation with us at all, because that's literally what this is. Yeah. I, I, I've got to say that I didn't do that perfectly. I, 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 sometimes, I mean, I did say to people, you're incompetent. Yeah. Or don't speak to me that way. That's not, that's not. So, you know, yeah, I can, I can, I can, I say that because sometimes I did hammer people yeah. with it, you know, 100%. It's something that you, you know. learned along the way. So I, I'm not a perfect person, yeah. but, um, clarity is something that's very important to me when you're being treated in an unclear way and you're supposed to be in charge. That's like, ah, oh, 
to me that no, 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 that's, you know, so, um, yeah, two of my favorite writers are C.S. Lewis and, uh, Francis Schaeffer. When you read those, when you read their, their books mm. after a while, it's mere Christianity and, and he is there and he is not, he's not silent. I don't know if you know that book by Francis Schaeffer. After you read those, you're, you're, uh, yeah, I just developed this, um, longing for clarity and truth, but despite my, um, self, not because of myself, because, uh, we can push that away as well. Well, your time here with us, I feel like has been an incredible gift of sharing clarity and a different perspective and sharing your story yeah, and helping us to see another story or, or a story that doesn't fit with our general thoughts of what it's like to be home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm really grateful. Thank you for, thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it started in 2018 and now it's 2022. So it's, it, it ended last year, November. So it's been, it, it was a long time yeah. to, yeah, definitely was a journey and I'm on another kind of journey now. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Thank you. Hey, you. Yes, you, listener. Have you ever been walking down the street and someone who appeared unhoused approached you and asked for money? Or do you ever walk to the train in the morning and see someone holding a sign asking for help? What do you do? Well, don't worry. We are here to help. Click the link in the description of this episode for a quick, easy-to-use guide packed with helpful tips for how to engage with your neighbors experiencing homelessness.